One of the most powerful and beautiful things a human being can do is to put their self-interest aside and protect and help another. This, my friends, is the soul of Veterans Day. Please join me in this special presentation in honor of our veterans, of people who've committed their lives to service, to protect, to sacrifice themselves in the interest of others. And let us take lessons for each one of our lives in our mission. And it couldn't be more relevant than today in these polarized times. So many things we can learn when we think about and do a little soul searching and learn from the veterans. So please join me in the soul of Veterans Day. Hi everyone, Simon Jacobson here. We will be speaking about the soul of Veterans Day. This program is dedicated in loving memory of Basia, Basmoisha on the eve of her yard site, on the 19th of Kislev, 5741. There are many different features we human beings have, but one that stands out above the rest in the nobility and the virtue what humans are capable of is when we put our self-interest aside, sacrifice ourselves even for another. I mean, it begins even with our own parents. We take them for granted, but as we grow older, we learn to appreciate, especially when we become parents ourselves, how many little and big sacrifices they make and no one notices unsung heroes in from the moment that a mother carries her baby, birth, the early infancy, early infancy childhood, through the teens. And in a broad sense, we are honoring and celebrating a very special day once a year in the United States called Veterans Day. So that symbolizes, personifies the very essence of serving another. So let's talk about it in this soul of Veterans Day. What does it really mean what lies at the heart of it? What can we learn from it, especially in these polarized, challenging, and disruptive times? So let's begin with a little uh, quick psychology 101 about the very nature of the human being. Are we fundamentally selfish, narcissists, or are we giving people? Now, of course, nothing is black and white, and any intelligent person will tell you, well, we have part of both. There are times that we behave in a very selfish way, self-interest, and there are times where you see nobility, you see people giving, people putting themselves aside to help another. Examples I gave with parents, with veterans, with service people. And then the regular folk, you see this on an ongoing basis. But when you really dig deeper into it, and you look at the different psychological models of how we've been taught and what are the most prevalent viewpoints of how human, what makes human beings tick? So though Freud is clearly not the monopoly on psychology, and there are many 
detractors and totally disagree with him, but he still remains in some way the man to disagree with. And he definitely described the human being in the German as the driving force is the id, the very essence of self, self self-pleasure, sexual, all about me, me, me. And it's very consistent with the social Darwinian model of the survival of the fittest. Though it's important to point out that Darwin didn't really talk about it in the, so, in the social sense. He talked about it more in a natural, biological sense. But it has already been spill, spilled over into using Richard Dawkins' famous book titled, yes, The Selfish Gene. That the very gene is selfish. Because if the cardinal rule of existence is perpetuation of yourself and your species which makes sense because without that, everything goes extinct, then the driving force of that, behind that, is self-interest. And you will compete and you will war, battle, and fight for resources because resources are limited and you want to dominate. And how breeding takes place and so many other biological natural forces, all driven by this type of theory. So I, in broad sense, coined it the Darwinian-Freudian model with self-interest is the drive of everything behind it. The fact that there's an ego and a superego using Freudian language, that's because human beings are intelligent enough that, number one, even selfishly, we need to coexist. If we all simply go to war with each other, we, we basically will kill each other out. So number one, self-interest itself drives cooperation and collaboration and many times even love and kindness. That's good for the social uh, network. But it's still driven by the selfishness. And when push comes to shove, you see human beings can turn to cannibalism when they're extremely hungry. Torture and other forces bring out the worst in us. So there's a big case to be made and no one should ever be tested of what human beings can, how could they stoop in the name of that self-interest, the id, whatever what word you want to call it. Now clearly there are, as I said, detractors, those that have very different position. Whether you talk about Jung looking at the more the soul, the spiritual side of the person, or, or Viktor Frankl, meaning logotherapy, meaning is the driving force. And there are the other, Adler and the others, that each have their theories. Yet at the same time, no one has really presented a completely other extreme theory, which I do want to present, because it precedes Freud and precedes all of these uh, psychologists and therapists and uh, uh, people who study the psyche and the soul. And that is a model that is driven by the the biblical model, which states that the human being was created in the divine image. So first of all, we're divine. Secondly, when we split male-female, it's two parts of a larger whole. And our aspiration in life is to connect to that divine, to that transcendent element. So transcendence is the driving force behind love and behind all the forces that, that define our lives, which is, of course, a, almost a um, diametric opposite of the Freudian model. And indeed, we do have two voices. If you look in the classic work called the Tanya by Rabbi Shneir Zalm of Liadi, so what does he state? He states that there are two souls, two voices, two psyches in a way. He calls one the animal soul, which is driven for self-interest, and the other is Ego, one is egocentric and self-interest, and the other is the divine soul driven by a higher purpose. Higher purpose means not me, means others. 
So in essence, the idea of service to another is not just a nice thing, it's the very, it's the very core essence of who we are. The quintessential nature of the human being. And yet we also have the other voice. And there's a reason we're given that second soul, the self-interest one, because there's a battle. And it's up to you and I to choose. So if you put it that way, the soul of Veterans Day then is people who've made, we're honoring and celebrating people who've made that choice, who have chosen, whether they know it or not, and whether they know it in the full-blown fashion or not, but they have chosen a life during the time that they've served of instead of taking care of themselves, they'll call the Darwinian Freudian model, they've chosen the biblical model. They've chosen the soul-centric model instead of the body-centric one. Because in essence, the difference between body and soul, or you can say between matter and spirit, or matter and energy, between the physical and the spiritual, is one is driven by self, and the other is driven by other, outside of the self. Materialism divides. Spirituality unites. Because as long as, since it's not driven by self, which of course is the root of all division and the root of all, of, of all, diverse, of all uh, divisiveness and battle and war, whether it's in the animal kingdom or in the plant kingdom or in the human kingdom, the, and the, other, the extreme other opposite of that is something outside of self, recognizing there's a higher purpose, and we are all part of that higher purpose. So it's not obliterating the self. Remember, service doesn't mean annihilation of self, ignoring your own needs. No, that's not what it means. It means that it's not beginning and end about me. As I've discussed a number of times in the workshops I've done on love and relationships. So love, most people see as love as another need. Yes, it's a more ethereal need than bread, water, sleep, other forms of of money, income, luxuries. But it's still a need. I need love, I need companionship, I need intimacy, I need a partner, I need what the other person gives me. And I'll give something for it, it's a give and take. But it has a certain conditional, I don't want to say business-like side to it, but a certain negotiation going on, and that's why you see marriages and relationships are not, are not guaranteed sustainable, eternal relationships. Because they're lacking one thing that's necessary for it to be eternal. As long as it is human, it's going to be driven by human mortality, human interests, human shifts and changes, and we all go through all kinds of shifts and changes in our lives. The eternal element, and this is just a summary of something I've discussed in other talks and workshops on this topic, you introduce the spiritual element, which means not just the physical attraction, the emotional connection, the intellectual compatibility, but a spiritual connection, which is what? It's not about you. Two people have chosen to share a vision together, a vision greater than the sum of the parts. We want to build a home, a family. We want to leave a mark in this universe, an eternal mark. So as soon as you've gone away from the self, you've gone into the transcendent, now you become a channel for the eternal, for the immortal, for that transcendent. And as you do become that, what happens is you now introduce something beyond human, that divine image. So self-interest, as beautiful as it may sound, which it doesn't frankly always sound so beautiful, but let's just say for the moment instant gratification has a major downside. Like they say, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If self-interest, survival of the fittest, perpetuation of self is the driving force, so then when, when that is gone, then the self is gone. In other words, self is the beginning and end of it all. Whereas when there's introduced something that is not about you, 
that lives on even when you physically are not here. So if you really want eternity, I, you know, I, I was about to say, and I will say, that if you really want the biggest self-interest is to not live a life of self-interest. Because that guarantees an eternal self. But the price to pay is it's not a game. The price to pay is actually to live a life of service. So I'm not suggesting that every veteran and every service person, man, woman, or anyone has served is a perfect human being. That's not the point here. The point is that we're honoring that element of service. And whatever their intention was, people go into the military for all kinds of reasons. That's also not relevant here. Because the bottom line, is they say about charity or about any good deed, so and benefit, that's the point. Even if the person had an ulterior motive, so be it. Everybody has to work on themselves. So this is not about perfection. It's about a virtue that we're honoring and celebrating. So firstly, in that context, it's such a beautiful thing to see that the United States of America has a day designated. I know we've been distracted and many of us don't even pay attention to the real meaning of Veterans Day. Yes, we'll have the prerequisite speeches about service, which is better than nothing. There'll be the Veteran Day sales, the different ways that the commercialization of it. But at the heart of it, what we need to look at is what it means Firstly, what are we honoring? We're honoring giving instead of taking. We're honoring protecting others instead of just taking care of yourself. We're honoring the idea of service. So the question we have to ask ourselves, where do you stand in the area of service? Where do you stand? Are you serving? What are you serving? Whom are you serving? And as I said before, I want to make this clear. This is not either or. This is not like, oh, if I serve others, I neglect or compromise myself. No. It's broadening your horizons. It's expanding them. It's like someone saying, I'm living in a tunnel. All I see is myself and whatever's right here in my tunnel vision. If I go up on, a, on the plateau or we go up on a mountain, I'll see a lot more. So I'll be diminished. No. Then you become part of something more. That's the whole point of growth. We're not talking about instead of you. It's in addition to. That's what true love is about. You're introducing transcendence into your life. You're introducing another person, another perspective. So Veterans Day... Challenge us is, why are you here? There's a story with, uh, I mentioned the Tanya, the author of the Tanya, Rav Shnei and someone came to see him. And he listed, he had a whole grocery list of needs. Needs a blessing for health, a blessing for livelihood, a blessing for children, a blessing for this, for that. You know, he had all his needs. And all good needs. And the Alter Rebbe patiently waited, Rabbi Shnei Zalman, until he finished and said to him, anything else? So once he's done, he says, you've told me everything you, are, you need, but did you ask the question, what are you needed for? I don't know if JFK got that line from the Alter Rebbe, but when he said, don't, do not ask what your country can do for you, do ask what your, you can do for your country, that was essentially the theme. And again, I'm not getting into any ulterior motive. It's a good line, but the essential message is, yes, your soul came down to this world. Your question should be not what I need, but what am I needed for? Why am I here? Why was I sent to this world? Why do I live now in the year 2021, going on to 2022 shortly, in a few months? Why am I here? Why am I in this part of the world, this time, this place? That is the question, that how I would reframe, rephrase Veterans Day in a personal terms, and both collectively and individually. So you see from this that a simple day, maybe it's not so simple, can, can, should, be, should be a catalyst 
to do some soul-searching and introspection about, firstly, the very purpose of our existence. Secondly, how we serve. And thirdly, to challenge the notion that self-interest is the driving force. It is not, and should not be. And it's up to us to make that decision. Yes, when enough people live that way, then it becomes a cultural norm. But when enough people challenge that status quo, when enough people live that way, meaning live that way, it's all about me. But yes, yes, I give a little because I get that give and take, red lights, green lights. But when enough of us say no, there's an element of self-interest. Obviously, to protect yourself, we need to have element of sensitivity to our needs, our family's needs. But that is not the beginning and end of your life. The beginning and end begins, as we say every morning, thank you for returning my soul to me. Thank you for giving me life, for purpose, mission. Thank you for allowing me to serve. Serve is a gift. It's not a price we pay. Not even a responsibility, which it is, but much more. It's a gift. It's a gift to be able to be not just yourself, but be far greater than yourself. And yes, we see it most when people actually serve, where they ready to sacrifice their lives, and many have sacrificed their lives, to help another to protect another. Nothing greater than that. And what we teach our children, even if they don't go into the military, that should be our attitude in life. Always looking out, how can I help another person? Always having that loving attitude, which of course goes without saying, or doesn't go without saying, I should say it, counters the forces of, of judgmentalism, of jealousy, of unhealthy competition, of schadenfreude, not fraginning in Yiddish is a word, someone else's success, being happy for others. And above all, if you want to put it in psychological terms, being secure with who you are. So you don't feel that anyone's taking your turf or your territory. You don't need to hoard. Because the people who are most secure in their own skin, comfortable in their own skin, are the ones you find are the easiest to coexist with. Because they don't feel you're taking from them. And they don't feel they have to take yours for them to be greater. You don't need to be less for me to be more. You don't need to be wrong for me to be right. Those secure people are people who essentially are living that, we'll call it God-centric, divine-centric, soul-centric life. I don't always like to use the word God because some people misunderstand and they associate it with all the, unfortunately, legitimate stereotypes associated with God religion. But I think those of you who have heard me enough know where I'm coming from. If this is the first time you're listening... So you have to listen to my talks about my, <laughs> my anti-God talks in the sense of like Rabbi Levi Yitzchak put it so beautifully. He said to a self-proclaimed atheist, the God you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. But let's not digress. Let's go back to our theme here. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's amazing to have this element of transcendence, which in simple terms is about serving. Why are you here to, and how to serve others around you. And when you do, as I said earlier, you become greater, not less. The you becomes a greater you. And the you actually lives up to the true you. Look how it is. As much as people take, you know, in the Frisco Kid, there's that line where the guy jumps off, the, the, the train robber robs everyone of their money, their jewelry, their possessions. And right before he jumps off the train, he says to everybody, remember the lesson. <laughs> it's always better to give than to take. So yes, he went off with the jewels, but the bottom line is, tell me, what do you feel like? When a person hoards or a person is greedy or is able to 
win over and get something from another. There's a certain pleasure of conquest. But talk about long term. The person who gives at that moment may feel, you know what, I gave up some time of my own. I may be tired. I woke up early. I did. Long term and down the line, at that moment may have been a little pain. And maybe also not always. But long term, there's a deep pleasure that lasts. Whereas the person who takes at the moment, it's like eating a meal. It's great. But as soon as you finished, uh, you, you got filled and sated, you need another meal. You don't feel the long term is not as pleasant. So there are things that at the moment feel good, but down the road, nothing to be proud of. Sometimes actually you feel not so proud. And there are things at the moment you pay the price, but you look at it and say, wow, look what it produced. Look at the fruit, the offspring, the children. And I mean that both physically and also figuratively. The product that came from my investment. And again, it's, and have all nachas in the world. And it could even be for that ulterior motive. But at the end of the day, you have helped another. So for some reason, first time I heard the word selfish gene, it rubbed me the wrong way. I understand the point he's making. But the conclusion comes the way people think. There's nothing wrong with being selfish. The very gene is selfish. So why should I not be? But it goes counter to who we truly are. And you see it. See it in your own life. I mean, there'd be no children in the world, healthy children, if parents did not serve. If, not, not, if parents thought only about their own interest, what kind of children would grow up? I'm, I know it's pretty bad as is in many situations. But still, parents have paid us prices. Some did a beautiful job, some did less of a beautiful job. What would this world be like if everybody said, just me, me, me? Yes, I'll give you a little. I'll throw you some scraps in order to survive because I need, I need something from you, so I'll give you something. But there's a built-in nobility into the gene as well, because that part is not emphasized as en- enough. Look how the genes work with each other. The selfish genes are not at war with each other. In the human body, in a healthy human body, all the, trillion, the, the, seven, the 30 to 70 trillion cells all work with each other. Now, if they were all selfish, they should all go to war. Each one should fight for its own interest. So I understand the answer is, well, they all know they're part of one organism, and that's their self-interest, is to do their job and work with others. But that alone tells you that when it comes down to certain areas, if it's your own organism, then suddenly you're ready to work with others. And there are genes that have to sacrifice a lot for another. Some even have to die for the others. You see it all the time, skin cells and other cells that are constantly dying in order to be reinvigorated and refreshed. So why is it so inconceivable to say that the whole human race is a larger organism and the entire cosmos and all of existence is part of one greater reality and therefore it serves our own interest to be part of a larger whole? Different musicians, artists in a symphony, each one playing the right time. Then if someone says, I want to shine. I don't care about anyone else. You'll undermine the entire symphony, and everyone understands that. Self-interest ultimately is not a contradiction to a higher purpose. It comes a contradiction if you see it as such, as I explained earlier. In Kabbalistic terminology, the concept of shalom, which means peace, is more than absence of war. Peace also means, shalom also means complete, wholesome, because it's more than just the absence of battle. In the Kabbalistic terminology, there's chesed, kindness, there's gvura, restraint, and there's teferis, called beauty, because it's 
also compassion, because it brings and synthesizes the two. So one color may be beautiful, the color blue, color red, but real beauty is when you find harmony within diversity. And there there's an invisible synergetic force that creates that harmony, that creates that synthesis, that creates that integration. And that integration is what we're seeking. In the words of Hillel, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? Yes, but if it stopped there, it would be pure self-interest. Then he continues, if I'm only for myself, who am I? That's the balance. One, two, and three. One is a single, a singular. Two is diversity, and three is harmony. So in that context, Veterans Day has so many lessons for us. But I want to say, share a few words now, especially in our times. COVID, political forces, other things have brought out beautiful elements within the human race, giving, nobility, service, but also brought out some of the worst traits. The polarization, the intolerance, the inability to communicate, even disagree. If you think about it, it goes also to the heart of what we're discussing. Why are you here? The respect for another person, even if they disagree with you. When veterans and service people are out there, do they, do they say, I'm only defending the Democrats or the Republicans or the right wing or the left wings or people who love Trump or hate Trump or people who love Biden or hate Biden? Or for that matter, any other political party and persuasion? No, they protect everyone. That's the whole purpose of a military. That's what they do. So the lesson there is the selflessness. That I don't have to agree with you, but I protect your rights. And the United States of America and the Declaration of, 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 uh, of Independence, based on the Bible, all people are created equal. I know it says all men. It means all humans are created equal. And by that virtue of the Creator, as the Founding Fathers put it in there, we all have an unalienable rights. The right to freedom, the right to expression, all the rights that make it to find the human being. That's the essence of this country. By extension, Veterans Day, because that is, that's in that spirit. Nowhere does it talk about money, making money, about your own control, and so on. It's about rights. And everyone has equal rights. That, of course, also guarantees your individuality and yourself. But it's driven by that higher spirit, by that transcendent element. I've asked many attorneys, especially constitutional ones, how, do they, how, you know, how come no one ever challenges this? This is a country of separation of church and state. There have been Supreme Court cases fighting about prayer in the schools, God in the schools, can we teach it, not teach it, creationism versus evolution, etc. How come nobody is challenging the word creator used in the Declaration of Independence. Creator is a creator. And more importantly, the founding fathers, who were um, essentially, I mean, they all had their faith and so on, but they were essentially neutral and they wanted it to be so, especially in establishing a government, freedom of religion. They didn't dominate, even though Christians were the dominant religion, freedom of religion. Why did they use the word created? Why couldn't they say all men are born equal? All men are equal. So here's my submission. The reason is because they knew as wise people. And they were deists. They knew 
that if you don't use the word creator, someone can always come and say, one second, maybe some people are born not equal to others, as it was in the time of the monarchs. That was the belief. By putting creator, they're saying it's not you or I, there's a creator, and none of us are the creator. It was guaranteeing that you have something that is not you or I, and even a majority cannot override that. Something greater, called the creator, that created us all as equal and gave us those inalienable rights. And we're on the topic already. I remember asking someone a similar question, an, an attorney. Look at insurance policies. They all use the word, and other acts of God. Basically saying we don't cover hurricanes or other natural disasters, and other acts of God. Why are they suddenly using God? Why aren't they just other acts of nature? And he said to me, <laughs> half jokingly, but I think that's, this is correct, because God is the best scapegoat. If you didn't say acts of God, you could get into an argument, maybe you should have anticipated nature. Why is it my problem? Why is it the insurance comp- company's problem? So insurance companies, to protect themselves, God, it's acts of God, what do you want from us? Anyway, that's uh, somewhat digressing, but getting back, so in God we trust is on our currency. Only nation in the world. E pluribus unum. From the many, one. Harmony within diversity. So in the broad sense, Veterans Day has much to give us, much to offer us in teaching us, especially in our times, to get back not to our opinions, to the core essence of who you are. And that is we're all created in the divine image. We are all indispensable, you and I. Even if we disagree about matters, the indispensability that we have is more powerful than our differences. And that's why it's so tragic to see when our differences override the very essential nature of who you are. It would be like parents who don't want to speak to their children because they're not doing what they want them to do. But you are, they're your children. These are your parents. Isn't that deeper than our disagreements? That doesn't mean we can't have a strong opinion. It doesn't mean that we can't state it. But it should be with love, with kindness. I have siblings. I don't agree with them about everything, but we love each other. The love is unconditional because the fundamental nature of who you are, the judgmentalism that exists today, it's horrible to see. You know, I, I take, I'm being a public figure and I write and I speak. If you don't agree with me, it means you're at war with me. Who made such, where does such a statement come from? It's complete to me. That's like the ultimate selfish statement. You can disagree with me and, and, I'm not, and it doesn't take away from me. If I feel it important, I may try to persuade you or argue with you in a healthy and civil and loving way. But this concept, if you don't agree with me, you're my enemy. Now, I know it feeds into the gladiator, blood-sucking mentality. um, I've heard quite a few media, legitimate media outlets, I don't know what legitimate is today anyway, where we want blood. You want to come on the show? We need you to fight with the other person. It's entertainment. It's gladiators. Yep, because they are competing for viewers. And the, what's out there is a lot of entertainment, a lot of fighting and so on. So the news has also got caught up into it. I have no question about it. And the, you know, ratings matter because that's how the money that pays for the news. And it's, that's their justification. I'm not pointing my fingers at anyone. You could, it, it could, the, the hat can fit anyone that it fits. But the point is, we live in an environment where that has taken over and it's obfuscated the essence of what defines us. So perhaps this Veterans Day can be a wake-up call. Veterans Day 2021. 
in the wake of COVID, which we're still in its shadow, should we, let's look dig deeper. Let's look deeper inside ourselves and our friends and our colleagues and our families and our strangers and strangers. Yes, the eight billion, almost eight billion of us and counting, each one of us an indispensable note in a magnificent symphony, orchestra, each one necessary, each one needing the other. And when you state your opinion, even if it's not mine, it's important that you express your voice. Now, if I disagree with you, I'll, I'll try to share that if I think it's important or sometimes it's not that necessary. We don't have to fight every battle. No. Now, of course, you'll say, what about people who are really wrong? Well, we all make mistakes and we could be wrong. And hopefully people will learn from this and we'll learn from each other. That's called fresh air. That's called getting out of your tunnel and expanding your horizons and looking around, learning from others. That's called transcendence. If we all had that attitude, we would both have strong positions perhaps, but also be flexible and open and resilient to learn that we can grow. And as we grow, we become greater, not less. And the, and the final phrase of Hillel, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, who am I? Or what am I? The final phrase, and if not now, when? That's always important, the sense of urgency, that it's now, not tomorrow, not the next day. Let us take these lessons from Veterans Day, the soul of Veterans Day, and apply it to our own lives. What do you need it for? Thank you so much for more, to find out what you need it for, your mission. We have many tools and resources at MeaningfulLife.com. Please visit. We have a course called Midlife Miracle, or otherwise known as Discovering Your Personal Mission, and many other materials for different ages, different interests, different aspects of your life. Check it out, MeaningfulLife.com. I'd love to hear from you. Feedback, thoughts, comments, suggestions, critique, and as well as please share it if you found it valuable. If you find this information valuable, share, which is also part of giving, sharing, liking, subscribing, and I look forward to continue this journey with you, this glorious, noble journey of giving to fulfill the mission for which we were sent to this world. God bless you. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.